0: Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali.
1: Hello there, this is Dr. Nazanin Moali, your host on the Sexology podcast. We are back with a fascinating episode 359 and i must say it's one that promises to delve deep into the every fiber of what makes us connect and thrive in relationships in today's session we'll explore the complexities and the subtleties of relational and sexual self-awareness. It's a topic that's often overlooked in the hustle of our daily lives, but is crucial to the health and longevity of our intimate connections. And who better to guide us through this topic than Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Dr. Solomon, an internationally acclaimed therapist and speaker provides a wealth of knowledge with her framework of relational self-awareness that has reached and influenced millions. She's not just a therapist. She's an author, a professor, a podcast host, and so much more. Her powerful Instagram presents with over 200K followers is a testament to her impact on the world of relationships. Her podcast, Reimagining Love, is a treasure trove of insight, and her book, Taking Sexy Back and Loving Bravely, have been pivotal in changing the life of countless individuals. But before we jump into what's in store for today, I want to share a little story about our sponsor, Cozy Earth. You know that feeling when you slip into bed after a long day and everything just feels right? That's the feeling I get when I first tried Cozy Earth Sheets. They sent me a set, and honestly, it felt like sleeping on a cloud. I was so impressed by the quality and the comfort that I went on to outfit my entire bed with their products. And let me tell you, the hype is real. So real, in fact, that Cozy Earth has been one of Opera's favorite things for five years. If you want to experience this level of comfort, check out their collection. I cannot recommend it enough. Cozy Earth provides an exclusive offer to our sexology listeners up to 40% of site-wide when you use the code sexology. Again, go to the link below and put the code sexology. You will love the product and thank you so much for supporting us. Now, back to our show. Get ready to be enlightened, moved, and perhaps even transformed as we navigate the waters of love and self discovery with Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome back Dr. Alexandra Solomon to our show. Dr. Alexandra, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me on again, Dr. Nazanin. I am very excited about this conversation. I know that we had the pleasure of having you on the show a few months ago, and I received a copy of your new book, which I was just sharing with you that how awesome it is that you teach people. It's, I feel it's like a relationship school and small bikes mm, <laughs> that
0: people can do. Very well said. Uh-huh.
1: Well, one of the things that you talk about it a lot in the book and your social media, that's very important, I feel, for people to know. It's about relational self-awareness. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So the thing that we know for sure is that the
0: key to a healthy, thriving, intimate relationship is a willingness to look at our own behavior. I know that I'm 25 plus years into a marriage with my husband and it's really easy for me to focus on his behavior. If he would just do more of this, if he would just do less of this, things would be easier or better. It's really easy to get focused on the other person. And there's something so courageous about being willing to hold up a mirror and look at how everything that happens in a relationship is a dynamic. It's my stuff plus your stuff equals our stuff. And so, and that's not easy. And that's not certainly how we are, you know, raised to view relationships. And so that's why we need an entire book like Love Every Day to help us gently curiously and so 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 self compassionately look at all of the ways in which we get activated or triggered and participate in the dynamics that we don't like and perhaps complain about with our partner
1: that is such an important thing for people to know so i'm in a long term marriage myself and what i know that unless you are in a living with someone in a relationship You, you maybe you don't know about how much of your family of origin stuff you're bringing in. You think because you're surrounded with people similar to you, you think those patterns are universal. When in fact, Mm -hmm. it's just very specific to your background, your family culture, their story. So I think it's very important for people to, as you mentioned, kind of like focus on what part of it is theirs and what part is for the partners and focus on, Addressing their part because that's the only part we have power over. Yeah. And the things that
0: we, you know, when we're little, we, we learn so much. we learn everything about how to do relationships from our family system. I mean, from, from media as well and from our friends in school, but our family system is such a big influence as, as, as you know, as a psychologist. And when it's not really ever about blaming our parents, I mean, most of our parents do the best they can do during those years when we are little and growing up. But we the the messages that we've taken in, the ways we define normal, you know, for relationship behaviors, it happens outside of our conscious awareness. And it is, as you're saying, it is oftentimes not until we're in an intimate partnership that we realize, wait a minute, why are you, why are you doing that? People don't do that. That's not the right way to do it. That's not how men should behave. It's not how women should behave. And we are get confronted by all of these expectations that we had that we didn't even know that we had.
1: Sometimes I get this subtle flashback of like the things I even heard from my grandparents that like, you know, it uh, come back to me, which is very interesting. Again, some of this stuff is really good. Some of the things require unlearning because something I, that worked, I don't know, 100 years ago right now, it's not relevant anymore. So another topic that you were talking about in the book, which is very interesting, was sexual self-awareness. What does that entail? Yeah, it is
0: about how just in the same way we're socialized around what to expect in intimate relationships, we're definitely massively socialized around sexuality. And we're given oftentimes quite clear messages about what we're allowed to ask for, who we're allowed to be and and who we shouldn't be. And we're given lots of messages about our bodies, about touch, about pleasure. And so here again, until and unless we understand what messages really serve us well and what messages are getting in the way for us, we're gonna just sort of be victims of our socialization, victims of the messages that we've internalized. And so that's, I think so many of us need to have that sexual healing journey where we get information that we never had access to growing up and we learn how to talk about sex. We learn how to feel permission inside of our bodies. I know this is so much of the work that you do is helping people oftentimes unlearn and relearn about about themselves and about intimacy.
1: And it's really challenging because I would imagine that like, I know like different people have different sexual scripts. So if you're with someone in a particular context, you might need a different kind of tools versus if you were in other relationships. And mm-hmm. you talk or you connect the sexual self-awareness to the relational self-awareness. So tell us mm-hmm. more about that.
0: Yeah. I sort of think of relational self-awareness as the big umbrella. And then within that, it's understanding our family of origin. It's understanding how we deal with frustration and emotional upset. It's understanding sexual self-awareness is about five different pillars of relational self-awareness. And one is about sexuality because of everything that is true Outside of the bedroom is certainly true within the bedroom. And, and oftentimes the vulnerability is just that much more intense when it comes to sexual connection. And you're making a very good point about even if we understood our own body pretty well with one partner and understood that partner's body pretty well, if that relationship has ended and now we're going into a new relationship, it is a time to revisit okay, who do I get to be in this sexual connection? And how do I begin to establish a similar sort of safety or familiarity or flow with this new partner and to resist the urge to make lots of assumptions or, and even to resist the urge to make comparisons. Like this isn't like it was last time to really allow this sexual experience to kind of rest, to, to stand on its own, you know, and that's very, very, that's difficult and that's challenging. I think that we, Especially if we're coming out of a relationship that really was our first sexual relationship to kind of step away from that, to take back our sexuality and to bring that with us into another relationship is, I think it can take time and it can be quite tender.
1: Absolutely. And uh, even if your sexuality is evolving, like many people, sexuality evolves, then maybe you have to upgrade that script. I know that you're a professor and I always think about it from one relationship to another like a major. Right. Like I was double major in biochemistry <laughs> and then psychology. So, you know, part of your credits gonna get transferred, but you need to learn new new courses. So oh my what, gosh. what would well how would we know what are some of the things that we need to learn and unlearn in this relationship in a sexual context?
0: This is my new favorite analogy. It's so like that works so well. I think that's right. Some credits transfer and some credits don't, because it is every sexual experience is It's it's my sexuality, it's your sexuality, and then it's our sexuality. It's what we're creating together. And so that's, I think that's even true when you've been with one partner for a very long time. And I'm thinking about in my own marriage, I've been with this man for many, many years, but how I feel sexually with him in year 26 isn't the same as it was in year five. And in fact, I think in so many ways, it's like so much better and richer, you know, years and years later. And so I think even within, even with one partner, the curriculum sort of changes. And I think that, you know, monogamy is only as, monogamy is only as boring as, you know, our limited imaginations would, would have it be. So I think that, I think what it might look like with a new partner is perhaps I know the kinds of things that feel really good to my body. And so I might be able to kind of advocate a bit better for myself in this new relationship than I did in the last relationship. I think that might be something. I might feel less insecure about myself. And so that might allow me to really listen to your feedback or to ask questions of you where maybe in my last relationship, I was sort of too nervous and tense to even ask. And so it might be I think I I would want someone to think less about like the behaviors I'm into and not into and more about like how much more curious I can be, how much more patient I can be, how much more conversation I can handle. And what do you, what do you think are the things that, transfer and don't transfer from one relationship to the next
1: i agree with you i think kind of like knowing yourself i think is as you said it's really important so some of the things you can kind of share with the partner but also i think like curiosity like you're bringing into even if you had been with someone for many years right like you learn that As you guys explore different things, you might learn new things that would work for both of you guys. So for next relationship, Uh incorporating, bringing that curiosity versus kind of trying to push the template that you have to this new context and this new story. Yeah,
0: I'm thinking about a couple I worked with a long time ago where it was a new relationship for both of them but I don't remember the exact details, but he had been in, perhaps in a very, very long marriage. And in that very, very long marriage, they had had a pretty narrow sexual script. His first partner was not very sexually curious and was, you know, just sort of like very much like a means to an end. And with this new partner, she was very present in her body. She was really quite expansive in her ability to talk about her desires and her ability to, you know, crave eye contact and deeper intimacy and He was, I mean, he was like in like the 101 level and he's now with like this PhD student who's, you know, was challenging him. And I think that that was, I was really, I remember how impressed I was at his willingness to just be really humble with her and really excited about it rather than threaten, rather than seeing this as threatening or somehow that he was afraid of not measuring up. He was really grateful that, and, and and quite fascinated by all of what, was possible, you know, for her. And so there was a way in which she was a teacher to him, right? He kind of, he grew in that, in that experience.
1: Such a beautiful story. And I think, again, if we are open to learn, open to listen, I think like I know for myself, you can deepen the sexual connection, emotional intimacy and all of that, which can make sex very exciting. I know you talked about your relationship and different stages and, I'm sure we both have heard this that people say like sex is only exciting first stage of a relationship with this mm-hmm. new erotic energy. That's the only time that sex is a sexual part is fulfilling. And sometimes people feel disappointed and the quality of sexual encounters they have long term. Can you tell us more about the stages you've noticed, the recommendations you have for people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that is, I think that there
0: can be some grief if a couple has an easy, strong sexual connection in the beginning with lots and lots of spontaneous desire where it's not even really a question. You know, no one has to, they they don't need a lot of contextual cues, you know, to have their desire activated. It's just sort of like, oh, you're here and I'm here and let's go. I think that there can be a grief when, you know, as a couple settles into more familiarity, more commitment, oftentimes is you know, it's domesticity. It's raising a family together. It's job stress. It's a health crisis, whatever these oftentimes it's contextual. It's not even maybe how I feel about you. It's about all of the changes in our context that, that can lead, you know, desire to, that can make it more difficult to hold that time and space for sexual connection. And I think that, I think that things that we can grieve with our partner are easier than things that we grieve alone. And I think the place where couples get in trouble is they start trying to figure out whose fault it is that, you know, we don't have sex as much as we used to or it doesn't feel as easy as it used to. I think people get very much into a stance of blame or they're deeply afraid of, of being blamed. And I think that just makes a hard thing harder. And so I want couples to really see it as both of their... Responsibilities to be gentle with themselves and each other, maybe have a little bit of humor about, you know, the good old days when we didn't have these toddlers in our bed or, you know, these laptops in our, whatever. And then to figure out what are the practices that help each of us remember that, that connecting sexually, you know, feels good and feels bonding and to remember all of the different reasons that we have sex. You know, I think early on in a relationship, we can, we may, have sex just because we know it's going to feel good. And then later on in a relationship, it is we have sex because it's a way that we really declare to each other, you know, you matter and I matter and this matters. And I, I want you to feel more like a father and to also feel like a lover. And I want you to feel like more than a mother. I want you to feel like a lover, you know, those kinds of other reasons.
1: What a beautiful way of putting it. I think about the context, concept of breathing, right? Because sometimes people feel that that that's something that we can, if we change things a little bit, we can go right back where we were. But when I hear that for reality of life, you can have redefined a new kind of like sexual script and sexual experiences, but oftentimes it's hard to kind of go back to that first score of kind of like when you met yeah. someone, a stranger in the dark. That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. So there's, we have to be real about the grief. I think sometimes couples, I think this is where the power of reminiscing comes in, you know, like we can't write, you can't be a stranger in the dark, but we can talk about that time. You know, we can use that, mem- we can call up that memory and memories have, That somatic element, that embodied element that we can perhaps, you know, tap into a little bit. I think that's, that's where reminiscence is so, is so important for couples. And then, yeah, to be great. I mean, I think this is, I think this will become, you know, even more real for me as I go, I'm, I'm 50 now, but I imagine when I'm in my seventies and eighties, I will be grieving, you know, the body. I mean, I certainly at 50 don't have the body that I had at 25, but I, you know, I really try to celebrate what I love about this body that I live in and the body that my husband lives in now. And that as our bodies keep aging, like I want to be both real about the grief and also celebratory about what these bodies can still do and what these bodies mean to each other. So I think that there's a lot, there's like so much to grieve and be real about, like how difficult those changes are. But we have to always I think have an eye towards like what is here, what is possible, what is plentiful, what is bountiful, you know, about this next stage. What do you think?
1: I agree with you. I think I'm thinking about like a toolbox. So maybe late before, like you were using a different tools when you were younger to kind of create this juicy, uh-huh. wonderful story. But now that you're in a different stage, you can take advantage of other things in that toolbox. I, I remember like, okay, maybe when I was at 20, maybe like they just, aesthetic and that excitement was all kind of what, what it was required to make things exciting. But now the connection that you have, the security you have with your partner, I have with my partner that I can help us to go deeper and kind of certain experiences. At least that's, that's been my experience. And I think even for women, yeah. what's challenging, I think and can speak about my, my experience that there is this fixation on youth, right? Like unless yeah. you're naked body doesn't look like this, you got to fix it. And that gets in the way of people accepting what's present for them. And also yeah. partners kind of thinking about if I don't have that, like if my partner is not that, that's something that's, there's something going on in this relationship that you have to fix. Right. That's right. I
0: I recently on my podcast had Gina Gutierrez, who started the Dipsy. And, you know, I just thought, I just said to her like, Started so Dipsy is an audio an audio only erotic platform. And I thought and for women on um, those socializing the feminine, I thought this is just so brilliant because with audio only, you bypass all of that body image shit that so many of us have. And it gets in the way in the bedroom. It gets in the way when we're trying to, you know, enjoy erotic content. We're comparing this, you know, our body to their body. And you're right, we are so we're obsessed with. White bodies and thin bodies and young bodies and able bodies and how heartbreaking that is that we lose that sense of access to our own sexiness and sexuality and pleasure if we don't meet some sort of standard. And yeah, I think it's particular. I think it's a cruel thing we do to ourselves, but certainly it's a cruel thing to do to a partner, right? To, to feel critical of a partner's changing body as if we're ever entitled to you know, a, a particular body when it comes to our partner. And I think that when, if somebody is struggling with feeling critical of their partner's body, I would want them to check in with themselves about, okay, so what is the belief that I have in my head about beauty that is leading me, to, that is leading me to be critical of my partner right now? And where does that belief come from? And how does it serve me? And how does it get in the way? Cause there's something that is so. There's like this air of like entitlement that comes if somebody is critical of their partner's body as if you are entitled to, you know, perfection or as if, as if their body says something about you, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's so complicated.
1: Absolutely. And I kind of like projecting that to the partner, communicating that, that can be a kind of like a negative feedback loop that can really get in the way of people connecting and a kind of like really enriching their sexual connection i think it's good to be honest and give feedback but one of the things that i remember you were talking one of the videos was about not sharing whatever comes to your mind (laughs) i think it's like it seems very intuitive but many people have this idea if like you're my Uh, partner i have to immediately share like what's on my mind about you about everything and it seems like that can be a little bit disconnecting
0: a hundred percent a hundred my husband should only know a fraction of what's inside of my mind at any given moment. The rest of it, nobody has any business hearing because it's not, yeah, it's not filtered. We are not responsible for the thoughts that we have, but we certainly are responsible for what we do with them. And I think there's, you know, I think for a couple that's heterosexual, I think there's different pitfalls. Like I think it's really, I I want men to understand just how much Women tend to relate to their bodies as forever fixer-upper projects. And so his comment to him might feel, you know, his comment about her body might feel benign or neutral, but to a woman who's already doing that inside of her own head, just like you're saying, it's, it can be incredibly disconnecting. But then I also think that there are ways that women, I, I think women, I think we're, you know, women are socialized, especially like around food and caring for men that you know a husband's weight gain or changing body might feel like it's commentary on the quality of her how she's keeping her home or how she's feeding him so she may have she may feel like she's entitled to make comments about his body because she imagines that the world is somehow judging her for what's happening to his body and we want her to be really careful and really like discerning about is that comment you want to make to your husband about his body is that going to elevate him and you know, help him feel closer to you and more comfortable in his own skin or is it going to, you know, lead to more distance? And so I think that's, that is what I want people to be checking in with themselves around. Is this, is, is this helpful? You know, what is, what's motivating my urge to say this right now?
1: I agree with you. I think if we a little bit filter ourselves, especially when it comes to, or think about it, kind of, is this, as you said, is serving the relationship or not that we can kind of like cut back on the cost of therapy.
0: that's right that's right yes and less time with me (laughs) if you just yeah and less time with you I think you know when you think about what makes sex feel good it's really not about the firmness of somebody's muscles or the amount of inches that their thighs are what feels good in sex is the touch like it's not really about the objective aesthetic look of a body or the amount of tone on a muscle it is it is the imagination. It's the pleasure. It's the sensation. So really the, the aesthetic matters so much less than, you know, how the touch is, is
1: being given and received. Earlier you were talking about different roles and different hats that most people wear in the relationship, right? Like you're a mother, you're, you're helping with at home, you're kind of like a co-parent, all of these roles. And, It's such a challenging balance that I hear sometimes from the couple that they say that my partner uh, from a more traditional and heterosexual couple that like my partner is like caring a lot for me. Like she's preparing food for me, doing a lot of work around the home. And that makes it difficult for me to see her in a lover perspective, which is Mm. very interesting and it's just such a difficult feedback, right? You can, like, you cannot tell someone that they have to care less. So right. how can people navigate different roles that they're in a way that they still can hold on to their kind of lover image and that kind of sexual erotic energy? Yeah,
0: there's nothing like domestic life to make that challenging, right? It really is, it really is so difficult. And I think that it is, Like I would want, I think what I would want to say to that husband is how can, you know, how can you be an ally to her? How can you put the two of you? What's, what's your responsibility? And how can you take some initiative to put the two of you in a context where you're able to remember her as more than the role she's playing and that she is able to remember herself as more than the role she's playing? Because she may very well, I hope that she loves being a, a mother. In a caregiver, but I hope that she also yearns to be seen as a, you know, sexual goddess as well. And so I think that that's, I think that there's something very real about saying I struggle to see my wife in a sexual light. I think there's something very real about that, but I would not want him to put that at her feet, you know, or just sort of shrug his shoulders, but to instead be like, okay, so what can I do? How can I change the context? How can I create a novel experience or put us in a different context that, that will help me remember and help her remember.
1: I love that advice because that's what we have power over, right? Like changing our own behaviors, helping our partners yeah. so that I can change the context. And yeah, no, I think that's such a wonderful feedback for people. I know in the book, you talk about connecting with your inner child. Mm-hmm. And I know for many women, at least in a Western society, they, they heard about it. They experimented with that but I know maybe for cisgender men, it's more challenging. So tell us the benefit of it. How can people access that part of themselves?
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, whenever we talk about inner child, my hand goes right here to my chest. I sort of feel like we all have this sort of young version of ourselves that lives here and that lives inside of us. And I think you're right. It tends to be something that perhaps women might be. I mean, the vast majority of books like mine are you know, tend to be bought by women and men oftentimes will get them through their, you know, through their wives and through their female partners. And I do. I mean, I think that the times when I'm able to work with men around tending to the younger versions of themselves, it's much less scary than they think it's going to be. Like I've I'm I'm so often really, really impressed by by men's ability to connect with younger versions of themselves. I think it it, it is an idea overall that I think makes sense. And resonates, even if the culture hasn't ever taught them to think that way or imagine that way. and and I think it can be I think it can be a, a compassion generator for the couple for her to become aware of the little boy that her husband was, you know, and I think it can help her maybe be a little bit more mindful and discerning about her use of language when she remembers the way that he used to feel when he was little and certainly it's not ever about about him saying here you take care of my little boy no it's about him taking care of his little boy and him saying you know when my wife gets angry the young part of me starts to feel very afraid and shut down and so i tend to my little boy part so that i can be her partner and i can be unafraid of her anger you know and kind of stand up for myself and have compassion for her even as she's angry you know so i think that's I think it's really helpful. But I think anyways, that's a long way of saying I think it's helpful, but I think it can be a little bit like I think it can take a man, especially a little while to kind of get used to that idea. And sometimes I will have men go find a picture of themselves as a little boy, you know, we tell stories about what his life was like when he was little.
1: Uh, I have an interesting story about that. So I, I was like all through my life, very disconnected with younger part of me because of the trauma I had. So my Back and forth between my therapist and I, like and it's 10 years ago, he kept saying that if you have a picture, like frame it, bring it as part of our work together. And to make things easier, like I was like, okay, I'll frame it, i put it somewhere. And my husband saw it. That's the only picture I have from my childhood. And he was like, I saw the next day, he brought his own photo. I <laughs> hanged it next to it. And it was just so endearing. It was easier for me to say, oh my God, this is so sweet when it's for someone else. But it's also a very... Nice reminder of like, you know, oh. where our background stories are. And like, it's, it's very cool to see the picture side by side. They're just hanging out. The little
0: versions of you are just hanging out together. And how <laughs> sweet for, you know, how sweet for little Nazanim that she now has a friend next to her. You know, she's got this little, this cute little boy that she's going to grow up in me. That's so, that's so sweet. That's so oh, sweet. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, um, I was talking about this at a, a talk I was giving and. I was talking about the power of having, you know, a picture of your younger self Out and a woman raised her hand and she said that she keeps a picture of her husband as a little boy on the fridge, but for a different reason. And for her, it's because her husband is a very powerful CEO and he's very sure and he can kind of talk circles around her. And so she keeps that picture of him as a little boy up so she can remember he's just a little boy. Like that's all he is. And so that helps her keep her voice, you know, and not be so intimidated by this strong, powerful, fast-talking, slick CEO husband of hers. And she can be like, you're just a little boy on the inside. I don't have to be, you know, intimidated by you. So for whatever reasons, yeah, couples may have different reasons for why they learn the stories of each other when they were young or honor the photos of each other when they were young.
1: What a beautiful, meaningful story. I know that many of our listeners are men and they're in a long-term relationship and they they are looking forward to kind of like have more of a connecting, exciting sexual experiences. What are some of the invitations you have for them as they want to embark on this journey with their partners? Mm, I love, I think the idea of a man saying
0: enough of this like performance-based you know, like means to an end feeling like I have to have everything figured out in the bedroom. I love, I I love, especially a man who is willing and curious to go on his own journey to sort of retell the, redo the sexual scripts to use a term that you brought up a couple of times, like to kind of question those sexual scripts for himself. And I think that that is, I love, I think especially, I, I think especially for, well, I think with men, there's so much focus on performance on penises, on erections around getting hard and staying hard and staying hard for long enough and all of this stuff that just seems like it makes sex feel so stressful. And that doesn't actually honor what the research shows us. If, if, if his partner is vulva-bodied, you know, it is less about his erect penis and more about all of the touch that he can offer. So there's a way in which him liberating himself from the idea that he's only as good as his erect penis Liberates her from the idea that sexual intercourse ought to be the end all be all. So it's like they both get liberated from these very linear, very narrow sexual scripts. And I think there's something that, that like when he, when he's curious about bringing more mindfulness to a sexual experience, I think that then sex becomes a place for releasing stress you know, being less focused on doing and more focused on being. And I can, I think there's then carry over into the rest of his life where, you know, there's a bit less focus on goals and accomplishments everywhere and more focus on like the sort of beauty of the journey.
1: And for many couples that can open up the opportunity to have more of a sexual connection, because I love what you talked about, Mm -hmm. the fear of fear of performance. So like, if I don't have to, if I'm not able to get an erection, then I'm going to avoid having sex. Or if they are with the vulva-bodied wi- uh, women, they're like with kind of, okay, if I, I'm not, the woman feels if I'm not aroused, if I'm not able to climax, then I'm not going to have sex. So I think it's really good that, like you are talking about cultivating that connection, bringing that energy back versus on kind of focusing on that narrow script of yes. uh, what sex supposed to look like. And I think that she, I think that she,
0: so often, and you tell me if you see this in your practice as well, I think so often she's reactive to his erectile challenges because the story she tells herself is if he found me hotter or more attractive or more desirable, then he would be hard. And so she personalizes this. And so it becomes, so he has this like dual awareness of his own, he feels badly, for himself that he's having a difficult time with his erection, but he also feels badly about her being disappointed or her feeling self-conscious or her feeling not desirable. And there's like so much that gets going within each partner and between partners that, that yeah, then then of the avoidance makes total sense, right? Like who wants to be in a spot where you feel worried about hurting your partner's feelings or worried that your their partner's disappointed and, you know, feeling badly about yourself. It's just become so messy. Mm-hmm.
1: It's very well said. I know I love your content. You have very active Instagram, and also you have your new book. So, and we had you in the past in the previous episode talk about your previous book. So, if our listeners want to learn more about you, about your content, what are some of the places they can access it?
0: Well, the best the the book is available. The new book, Love Every Day, is available wherever books are sold. I especially like to send people in the U.S. to bookshop.org because that supports the local independent booksellers. My website is DrAlexandraSolomon.com and there you can find links to my social media, which is on Instagram at dr.Alexandra.Solomon. On my website, there's also links to the Reimagining Love podcast and my other books,
1: blogs and e-courses, all of the things that I've been building up over many, many years amazing and i enjoy your your content i find them very useful and with the new book as we were talking about it's like every day you have a mini lessons that people can journal about it talk about it so it's it's definitely i'm sure it's going to help many of our listeners i encourage them to check it out thank you so much for coming in this show this was such a wonderful conversation and thank you for your book thank you so much dr Nazanin. good to speak with you again Every time that I chat with Dr. Solomon, I get inspired to be a better version of me in my relationships. I know sometimes people talk about that you have to work on your relationships and you have to kind of look at the relationship as a team, but oftentimes we don't get the roadmap. What I like about Dr. Solomon's new book is the roadmap that you can work on your relationship and yourself on a daily doses. Before we close our episode, I want to invite you guys to check out Cozy Earth, our sponsor. I love their pajamas. I have their sheets. They have so many wonderful things that you can purchase for holiday on their website. I, I already got five items, including blankets, PJ, different sheets for people on my gift list. So if you are interested to check out their product, the code is Sexology. So they provided exclusive offer for our listeners today, up to 40% site-wide. So please go to the show notes and click on the link and it can be a one-stop shop for all the holiday gift that you would need this season. I personally got most of the gift for this season from their link anyhow thank you so much for listening to this show and i'll see you guys next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider